It's good to be in church this morning, and it's good to see our faces once again. Can we open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28? Can we open our Bibles to Matthew Matthew chapter 28? And I'll go to verse, verse 16 and we'll read it downwards. We'll read it together as a church. Can we have that scripture so read from verse 16 to 20 and we'll say together are we ready all right so matthew 28 verse 16 together we read then the 11 disciples went away into galilee to the mount which jesus has appointed for them when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted and jesus came and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And Father, we pray this morning that you speak your word to us. You open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Thank you because the entrance of your word gives light, gives us understanding, gives us a way and teaches us on the path by which we should live our lives. Pray that your name is glorified as we are edified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so the last time we, we started uh, something that we needed to complete today, and it was about a call to evangelism are we together do we remember that message so just two weeks ago right so we the ministry and that life is what you offer are we together so the life is what you offer you don't offer sacrifices you don't offer confession of sins all right so from here we said this is what we should not preach we should not preach about a coming Messiah. We should not preach about the atonement and offering for sins. So I said last, the, the previous time that what you receive by believing, right, it will be wrong for you to tell someone to receive it by offering something. Because that is not fair and that is not a scripture. So you say you must preach the resurrection of Christ, right? The, the, there's no place where you see the teaching about, the, about Christ that is death and resurrection is not preached. When it's not preached, then the gospel is not complete. Because what the world wants to disprove, even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, is to prove that Christ did not resurrect. And that is why they said he gave them money so that they can lie, right? He gave the gospel, they can lie that his body was actually stolen. So the resurrection is the key. It's very important, right? So repentance to turn away from unbelief, not to turn away from sin, right? Receiving forgiveness and believing. So confession of the Lordship of Jesus. We said the outcome is receiving eternal life. The outcome is what? Receiving eternal life. The outcome of the message of life is receive eternal life. Right? So that is what you receive. So here, this is where we started from. And we said, what you offer is the life of God that you have received. So it means that a believer cannot offer himself to God. So that is why we always say, when we teach that I gave my life to Christ, it means that it is a wrong concept or understanding to say, oh, I gave my life to Christ. It's much reasonable and correct scripturally to say, I received the life of Christ. Because you cannot offer a dead life, right? You cannot offer what is dead. You, can, you cannot offer what's, you know, what you don't have. So you don't have a life. The life you have is actually when you believe is the life of Christ that you have received and you receive it by believing I'm going to go to Galatians 2.20 subsequently Romans 8 the next slide will explain that so the list of your message must have this minimum baseline of the finished works of Christ must have this baseline right so um, I think a couple of times many people meet me and they ask me questions like so what if I preach the wrong gospel? Like, like some, you know, some of them are scared. Oh, I'm teaching. I'm, I'm growing as a teacher. What if what I'm teaching is not correct? Now, what you're teaching, right, 
as you grow in the Lord, you might advance in understanding of the correct interpretation of certain scriptures. But what you are teaching in any realm should never violate any of this because this is the baseline of the gospel. Do we get it? So they might tell you to come and teach about giving, right? And you might misfire. They might tell you to teach about some other topics and you might not be able to dissect them correctly. In all your dissecting, it must not violate any of the principle of the foundation of salvation and the message of Christ. It must not. All right. So we go. So your life is the ministry. Your life is the ministry. Right? So you are waiting for somebody to lay hands on you and say you have received a ministry of singing or this. Your life, your entire life is actually the ministry. So it means that the way you live your life is actually the ministry. So let's go quickly. What you offer is the life of God you have received. We just read this now. Can we go to Galatians 2.20? Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. It says, and I no longer live. I think I, I have it on the screen. So I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. So the point is, yourself don't live again. Right? So you gain no control and you have no control of the way and how your life should go. So that is what it means. So Paul says, it's not I who live again. So I'm no, more, I'm no longer in control of what takes place in my life but Christ is in control now do we get it so Christ is in control so it means that it is not you who dictates how you live your life but Christ the next scripture Romans chapter 1 now if you go to Romans chapter 1 can we quickly go there so first of all we've been able to identify that the life you live does not belong to you can we quickly go to Romans uh, chapter 12 sorry verse 1 to 8 Romans chapter 12. The first thing we establish is that the life you live is not your own. Now he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? Present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is what? Your reasonable service. So it means that the life we live, presenting it to God, right? In this context, you use the body. Presenting it to God is actually the reasonable service. So the way you live your life is the service, is the ministry. Now, how do we know that? Now, he kept on explaining something. He said, do not be conformed to the world, right? Do not be conformed to the world. Sorry, I be... Next verse, please. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Now, if you continue to read, can you move, move to the next verse? The next verse... All right, go back to verse 3, sorry. Go back to verse 3. It says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of yourself, right, of himself, more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God had dealt to each one as a measure of faith. Now, it was laying a foundation of how we will be doing ministry. I will be serving ourselves. Are we together? Let's not be distracted. So, he's laying a foundation here. From verse 1, he already laid a foundation. Of the fact that the life, the body, the life you live in the body is actually a life that is served or that is presented as a ministry to Christ. So he laid that foundation. Now he began to teach us that now in, in living that life, don't think that you are more better than the next person. However, think yourself much more lowly. The next verse. He said, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So it's talking about different functions now. So we being many are one, are in one, are one body and individual members of one another. The next. Having the gifts different according to the grace that is given unto us, let us use them. If prophesy, let us prophesy in proportion of our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching... He who exalts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, he's explaining how believers should live and minister to themselves. Are we together? So he has presented that the entire life of it, of a believer, is actually a reasonable service. 
It should be presented as a reasonable service. The way you live your life in this body, in this flesh, right? The same thing Paul says, the, the life I live in this flesh, I live it through Christ, right? It's not my life. So we get a foundation that the life we have when you come to believe is the life of Christ and that you should live it as a living sacrifice. Back to my slides, please. Back to my slides quickly. Sorry. All right. So, the life you have is actually your ministry. Now, the word ministry is actually used severally in the scriptures. Right? It means, it means to minister. Right? It's used severally. It's the word dehakonai. Right? Dehakonia. Right? That is the word. It means to attend to something. It means to minister. Right? That is the word. Minister. It is the same word that is used for the office of a deacon. Right? So, the word is used for the same office. So, if anyone desire the office of a deacon, and he explains in Timothy how the person should hold up. So, Dehakonia is actually talking about someone who is a servant of the other. And I just put some examples here. Under, Jos- under Moses, you have Joshua. Joshua was ministering to Moses. He was ministering to Moses. We have Elisha was ministering to Elijah. Right? So, we have ministers, even from the Old Testament. So it is not just something new, but we are seeing it in the life of a New Testament. So it means the Hakonia to attend to someone, to minister, to relieve, and to give a service. But he that is greatest among you shall be the servant of all. It's the same word, service, right? It's the same word. Let's go to Matthew 23, verse 11. When Jesus was talking about his disciples, say, He that is greatest, he that will be the greatest in the kingdom must be the servant of all. Just stay on the slide, please. Stay on the slide. I'll just explain the scriptures so that we don't have to go for it. The word servant there is actually minister for everyone, every other person. Right? So you have to be a minister. Jesus is saying, if you want to feel great in this kingdom, your job is to be a minister. You have to minister to everybody. So he's still using the word dehakonia, or in, in some context, he used the word diagnose. Right? Whether it's a verb or it's a noun. I will explain why I'm using this because there will be a term where we will see the word minister and it is not exactly this. All right. So the minister, this is ministering among the disciples. So we as believers should minister to each other. So we establish a foundation here that ministry means attending to the needs of another, serving one another, right? And in this context, Jesus is saying, my disciples, if anyone will be greatest among you, you have to serve each other. So that is the first context. Second Corinthians 3. I think we need to stay here a bit. Don't move the slides. Please, let's just open our Bibles to that place. Sometimes when, you know, when they say we should open our Bibles, let's not just depend on the slides alone. Let's, I'm rather the projection. Bless use our Bibles. So let's go there. Second Corinthians chapter, chapter 3. I'm going to stay there a little bit. I'm going to stay there a little bit. Say, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need to, as some would do, write letters of commendation to you or from you? You yourself are letters of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but the spirit of a living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So he's talking about, he's talking to a group of people. Right, and he's explaining to them that you are our evidence, right? You are our evidence of the fact that we have ministered to a people. Do we get it? So, Paul is saying, You are evidence that we have ministered to a people, and the evidence is that the way you live your life, right, you declare that you have believed with your heart. Do we get it? So, he said, We cannot be commending, should we be commending ourselves? Should we be pointing and saying, Oh, these are the people we have preached to? saying we don't need to do that but the way you live your life shows that we have preached the gospel to you you have received and you have believed with your hearts right so and it began to explain and begin to bring some things here it said it is not of us our sufficiency is not of us the ability to do these things to teach the word and to minister is not of us but it's of god now if you read from verse 7 or let's read from verse 4 such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. 
not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. It's talking about ministry, ability to minister to a people and they being an evidence of your ministry. It said, our sufficiencies of God, verse 6 says, who has made us sufficient to be ministers, right? He has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter killeth, uh, but the spirit gives what? Life. So he's saying that I'm a minister of the gospel of Christ, not of the letter. Now, what is the letter? If you read down, you will see it. It said, now, it, if the ministry of death, carved in letter of stones, came with such a glory. Now, it means that he's trying to compare himself that what Moses received and what happened in the Old Testament, if that came with such magnificence, in quotes, right, came with such magnificence, what's happened in the Old Testament, you know, the Bible says, if you keep reading, it says that when, when Moses was coming down from the mountain, they could not behold him, that they had to use the veil to cover him. So if that came with such a glory, Apostle Paul is saying, I am a minister of a much better covenant, which is the new covenant of Christ, the ministration of the spirits. So we can say that the ministration of the word of God, of the sermon, of the teachings, is also the ministration of the spirits. Do we get it? So Paul is saying that we have taught you, you have learned. Now, it means that the ministration of the word of God is what? The ministration of the spirits. So he said the ministry, the ministry of death, right? If you, go to the, if you go to that scripture, please just check your Bible. Check your Bible, chapter 3, verse 7. Say, now the ministry of death carved out in letters came with such glory that Israel could not gaze at the face of Moses because of his glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the spirits have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Sorry. Okay. So it's back. All right. So he's trying to say that what happened in the Old Testament contains ministry of death and condemnation under the law. But what I have preached to you is actually the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness through Christ, the ministry of the Word of God. So if you check that place, I wrote the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, the ministry of reconciliation, right? It's talking about the ministry of the Word of God. All right. Now, I'm going to move to the next thing. So, verse, uh, 1 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 4, verse 1, began to explain it in much detail. And it said, Therefore, having the ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, unhanded ways. We have refused to practice cunning or temper with God's word. Did you see that? So, it means that the ministry of the spirits which is the ministry of the word of God, which is the ministry of righteousness, is the ministry of handling the word of God rightly. Did you get it? So to handle the word of God rightly is what you have received. Not to manipulate people from the word of God. So Paul is saying, I, I have not received a ministry, right, to manipulate people, to be, to be cunning. So you can't, it means that I cannot take the Bible and interpret the Bible the way I want or make the Bible say what the Bible has not said. So we have to minister by what the scripture says. So every scripture has its own interpretation. Hallelujah. Every scripture has its own interpretation. And it's specific to that place. To that context. To that verse and that chapter. So this is what Paul is saying. That this ministry that we're talking about. Is the ministry of the word of God. And it's not a ministry of cunning. So actually... This is talking about ministry to unbelievers, right? Sharing the word of God, right? Ministering to unbelievers. I'm going to come to the next slide to explain much more. So now, where do we come in? Now, you, you might say, this is Paul talking. So where do I come in? Myself as a person, where, where do I come in? You might say, no, this is just the letter to Paul and it's not, you know, maybe it's not directly talking. Now, this is where we get implicated or we get uh, conjoined in, in this ministry. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 18. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 18. Now it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of what? 
reconciliation. That is the same ministry at the ministry of the spirit, the ministry of the word of God, the ministry of righteousness. Right? It's saying that you have a ministry of reconciliation. Now, how did we receive the ministry of reconciliation? If you check your scriptures, it said, All this is from God who had who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is explaining in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of what? Reconciliation. So this is where you come in, that you as a believer, the moment you say you believe, you have received a ministry of reconciliation. So don't wait to say, oh, I, I want to know my ministry. Don't wait to say, I want to know if I'm in the choir, I'm in, the choir, I'm in this department, or I'm in that department. That is, that is just a tip of an iceberg of what happens in the ministry. The ministry is the message of reconciling people to God. Saying that God in Christ was reconciling the whole world to himself. The word the whole world means everybody. The whole world. The whole nations of the world to himself. Alright, so. There are three ways. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to backtrack a little bit and explain to us three dimensions or three ways by which we minister. A, a, a believer ministers. I think Pastor Victor has taught this several times. The first one is ministering to the Lord. So there's a ministering, which is ministering to the Lord. Right? So the first way by which we minister, we've seen the two contexts, but I'm just backtracking a little bit to bring this into context. The first way we minister is that we minister to the Lord. So if we sit down here and pray and worship, we are ministering to the Lord. It's not the same word, dehaknos. Right? It's this other word, letologio, right? Letologio, something like that, as you can see. Letology, right? So that is what it means. It means to do a function. To do a function on behalf of someone. And the difference between that and the diagnose, right? Diagnose is like we are strengthening each other. We are encouraging each other. So you, you have a need, I have a need. And we come together to strengthen each other, to minister to the... That's why I say, in prophesying, let the person prophesy. In, in serving, let the person serve. In giving, let the person give. So it means that we are ministering to ourselves. That is the hackness. Now, this Letiojo, right, is actually talking about serving, ministering to God. So it's not like you are strengthening God or you are empowering God or you are... No. What you are doing is you are fellowship and communing with God. And that is what happened in Acts chapter 13 verse 2. Right, Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Basically, they were they were worshiping, they were communing. So it's not a prayer meeting of Father, I need this, Father, I need that. It's not a prayer need of your needs. It's a prayer need, a prayer meeting where you come together to just commune and pray. So that's the first way in which we minister as a believer. The second way is to minister to the saints, which is Romans 12, verse 1, towards 8, talking about ministering to each other. Right? So we have two ministering to the Lord, ministering to the saints. The next one is actually the one that we just shown now, which is actually the ministry of evangelism, the message of reconciliation. The first one is towards God. The second one is towards we believers as a body of Christ. And the third one is towards unbelievers. Do you get the point? So towards unbelievers, right? So it's a that it means... It is not the acnos, right? That's what I'm trying to say. Evangelism is a foundation, uh, fundamental means to also minister to the Lord. Now, in all of this, we are doing it to the Lord and for the Lord. Right? But in the context of what you are doing, the way you do it differs. So you are, you are, you are, you are serving the Lord by going to minister, going to teach and bring someone to Christ. Hallelujah. Now, this is what brings us actually to evangelism. Because we want to emphasize on the last part of it, which is the ministering by evangelism. Uh, I think the, the, the message should be online on ministering to the Lord. Pastor Victor has taught on it before. And also ministering to the saints. You can find it online and you can work on it. Now, we just want to focus on ministering by evangelism. Now, all creation means everyone who has believed. That is the emphasis. All creation means everyone who has believed has been created for good works. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Right? So let's go there. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good work, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Now, one of the reasons why, you know, I always, people ask, when I, when I, when I believed and received the life of God, why didn't God take me? The reason God did not take you is because of the work of the ministry. Did you get it? 
the reason why, you know, someone say, ah, the moment I believe, let me just, die so that, you know, with the concept that when you die, you don't want to miss heaven in case you live your life longer than that. You know, you don't want to do some wrong things and miss heaven. So people say, I, I just want to die and just go. No. God kept you and you will continue to be kept. Let me put it that way. Because of the work of the ministry. You are not saved to go to heaven. You are not, oh, I just saved to go. No, you are not saved to go. You are saved to receive eternal life and you are received it. And it's not for you to stay idle. It's for the work of the ministry. And that is why I say, every new creation has received the good works. And that good works is the work of the ministry. So the pipeline in church only functions as a means. Sorry. Something is happening to this. Can you help me? Alright, so the pipeline in church only functions as a means by which we help to create other in church. Sorry, can someone help me with this? I don't know what's wrong with you. So the departments are not the ministry themselves. Someone met me last Sunday and was like, so how do, we, how do I know that I've been called to the department of, you know, I've been called to singing. I've been called to ushering. Maybe some people are called to evangelism. It's not like that. You have been called to the ministry of the message of Christ. Whether you do it by singing or you do it by ushering or you do it in any way. So by implication, evangelism team, right, of a church is not the only team responsible it's not the only I'm responsible to go and minister to unbelievers. They only coordinate the order by which we go out. Do we get it? So evangelism team is responsible for coordinating the order by which we go out. So they are not, oh, I'm in the choir, evangelism team will go out. That is not their responsibility, not just to go. Their responsibility is to coordinate and also coordinate the people that you evangelize to so that we can receive feedback. So we are understanding the team. Evangelism is a general assignment that can be done collectively or individually. So we can go together as a church. We can say one Saturday, everybody, we need to go for evangelism. And you can also decide on a Tuesday to go for evangelism. Acts chapter 2 verse 14. It's a Peter standing with the 12. So it means that Peter was standing with the 12. There were other disciples there. And he taught. He shared the gospel. Philip in the Ethiopian Union's uh, chariots is a one-on-one evangelism. That is Philip with the Ethiopian Union. So this is showing us example of the fact that evangelism is not, oh, all of us have to go. No, you don't have to go together. You can go together and you can go individually. So you don't have to wait for the team as well. You don't have to wait for the team. You can go individually. Now, let's dissect Matthew 19, uh, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. So, we've agreed that we have been called to the ministry of reconciliation. All of us have been called to share the message. And all of us have been called to go out. Now, what was Jesus talking about in Matthew 28, 19 to 20? Go, okay, so these are just the words we'll work on. We'll work on, go therefore, make disciples. We'll try to understand what all nation is baptizing them we want to understand what baptizing them means teaching them to observe all that christ has commanded so we'll quickly run through this to go therefore simply means to travel with intention to pass a message to go therefore means as a result of the authority given to christ you are traveling with the intention to pass a message of course you can be in the school bus and as you're in the school bus someone seated beside you you just feel in your spirit that you should share the gospel. You can do that. That is beautiful. But that is, you know, a prompt by the spirit. A prompt by the word say that we have to go intentionally with the mindset to share the message. Do we get it? So the word is saying we have to go intentionally with the mindset that as I'm going to city center, I'm going to share the message. Hallelujah. Alright, so it means to move beyond one area which is, Jesus said it, so you'll be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the world. So it means that evangelism goes out through the end of the world. So wherever you travel to, you leave Nigeria, you come here, you leave Liberia, you go to Canada, wherever you find yourself, you find yourself in the Middle East, wherever you find yourself, make sure that you're teaching the gospel. So it's going therefore. Approach people, ask them if they are in the city and they haven't heard about Jesus. Now I quoted this from one of the scriptures in Matthew. So it is your duty to go up and meet people intentionally and say, have you heard about Jesus? You know, have you heard about Jesus? It is not going online because online is not a strategic environment. 
Online is difficult. I, I, I'm a, online is good. You can share the gospel online. You can write it. It is, you know when you will know online is not effective? It's when you go outside and you begin to engage someone. You can read literally the body language and the message of the person and you can know what to impact the person. So when you type online, it doesn't really pass the message. It's very limited in many ways. It's very limited. As a matter of fact, it does not. Online is not able to fulfill all that is in Matthew 28. It is impossible because discipleship is there. So online is, you know, you are hoping that someone will see the message and believe it when you post it on your Facebook status. Those are good stuffs. When you post it on WhatsApp status, what Christ is saying is go, leave your location with the intention you are going to meet someone to tell the person. That is very strategic and intentional. When you go out, you will meet a non-believer, then you will minister strategically. So I just put those ones. So go means go. Go out. Physical movement. Now, what is it? What, what does making disciples mean, right? So I just pick up Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Now, this is one of the things that we always misquote and we always say, ah, this scripture is actually good for those who are depressed and stressed. We use it for depression. We use it for a lot of things, actually. But it doesn't really mean what we have been using it for. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heaven laden, and I will give you rest. So take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, lonely heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and the burden is light. Now, Jesus was not talking about uh, people who are depressed and stressed and worried about the cares of life. Because we quote this and say, oh, I cast my burden, you use the scripture, right? So he wasn't talking about that. The burden of Jesus is not depression. The burden of Jesus is not stress. The burden of Jesus is the zeal of the Father that has consumed him. Do we get it? So if he's saying that cast your burden upon me and let me and take up my yoke, I'm going to explain that gradually. He's trying to tell you there's something I have much more significant than what you are chasing. And I can give you that burden. And that burden is the burden of the ministry. And let's see what it, what it means. It's a come to me, it means let me give you a better yoke. So, we'll pick it gradually. Come to me. So, it's an invitation to everybody. Everybody should come. Who labor and have and a heavy lady. So, the, the, the burden of the path that you have chosen for yourself, the path to make money, the path of your ambitions, the path that you seek, right? Those paths are the ones that give you the worries, not the work of the ministry. That is what Jesus is saying. He said, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Now, the yoke of Jesus, just like he says, the zeal of the Father that has consumed him for the ministry. And he said, learn of me means become my disciple. Right? So, learn of me means become my disciple. So, a yoke highlights the relationship between a teacher and a student. So, you are picking up a yoke. You are picking up the relationship between a teacher and a student. He said, learn of me means to become my student. It is a call to disciple, which is better than whatever you are chasing. Right, whatever you're chasing, the yoke of Christ, the yoke of ministry is much better than it. It gives you less worry. Actually, the work of ministry gives you less worry than what, what you're chasing has no end. All right. So it means that Jesus is saying that come to me, follow me, learn from me, listen to me, observe the way I behave. That is why he said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Observe the way I behave. And practice. Practice. So, if you're going to be a disciple of someone, you can actually, you know, ask yourself, am I doing all of this? Am I following? Am I learning? Am I listening? Am I observing and practicing? Now, this is what discipleship means. Learning from Christ. Now, look at, I wrote something that not all who listen to Jesus conducted themselves in this manner. So, there are people who follow Jesus I mean, but they didn't, follow, they didn't observe anything he was doing. They didn't practice anything. So this is an invitation for discipleship. So discipleship, which is what we want to define from here, is actually to learn of someone, to follow someone, to observe. The yoke of ministry is lighter when you learn from Jesus. Hallelujah. The yoke of ministry is what? Is lighter when you learn from Jesus. Now, I always say something uh, to a couple of people that Jesus has a way of answering questions. And if you have not observed that in the scripture, you will misinterpret the scripture. Right? You will misinterpret the scripture. Now, we can, we can be with Jesus. I'm just giving a scenario. We can be in Jesus in this generation. And we can be playing with these flowers. 
and we're playing with these flowers. And from that coordination and playing with this flower, Jesus will bring a message of salvation out of that. Have you observed that in the scripture? That when they are talking about wine, it's bringing a message of salvation. When they are talking about um, silly things, maybe things that pertain to the kingdom of earth, when will they restore Jerusalem? Jesus does what? He brings the message of salvation and the message of the ministry. Now, let's look at the scripture. Matthew 17, 24 to 27. I'll just quickly explain what Jesus did there. Just as an example. So long ago, I always think, right, being a tax collector actually was actually a very terrible job. So I'm just going to use this as an example of how Jesus teaches. So over time, I've, I've always think that, you know, being a tax collector is a very terrible job. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know, whichever way, my dad worked with IRS, right? So my, my dad worked with the Internal Revenue Service where they collect taxes for Lagos State. And over time, I, I always ah, Jesus, tax, I don't think tax is good, you know? I, I thought of that. But Jesus was actually not about tax. He wasn't even against tax. He wasn't even against tax. In this scripture, I'm going to read it, I'm going to interpret it for you and show you how Jesus teaches and explains the gospel. It says, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two dramatical tax went, they went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay tax? And he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him saying, what do you think, Simon? From who do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, and when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free, right? However, not to give offense to just people who have come to re request for tax, go to the sea, cast the hook, take the fish, the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel, take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Now, Jesus was not against tax. Jesus said something here. He said, who do the kings of the earth collect tax from? Now, let me ask you. Who do the king of the earth collect tax from? In a monarchical system, does the king, does the emperor tax his own prince? Would the emperor tax his own prince? Who does the emperor tax? The people, right? The people who are not part of that royal family. So, when the emperor wants to build an empire... You begin to tax the people. He doesn't tax the son. Jesus is saying that the tax, the dramatic tax that they are collecting, they want to use it to build a temple. A temple based on the instruction of my father. In fact, I am the one who will build the temple. Now, they are saying they are doing a service to my father, who is God, building a temple, yet they are taxing me. Jesus is trying to tell them that the person who is God Almighty that you say you are collecting money to build a temple for is my father. I am the prince. You cannot tax me. I am not among those you will collect tax from to build that temple. He's not trying to say that it's countering tax. The emphasis is that I'm the Messiah. Do we get it? The emphasis is that I'm the Messiah. He's saying that they are doing a service to God, but in that service, I am the son of the person. So why should you're serving the king and you're taxing the prince? But they didn't know. So Jesus, in every of the chances he gets, he explains to them that I am the Messiah. He's not saying that I'm a Jew per se. No, that's not. The explanation is saying that they're serving God and I'm the prince. Now, this is the pattern by which Jesus... So what did Jesus do? A conversation over tax arose, right? And he did what? He shared the message that I'm the Messiah. Of course, they didn't understand, you know. But that is the way you would go after people. That when you go after people, you say you're going for evangelism, they might engage you in other conversation. Make sure that in every of that conversation, what do you do? You must share the message of reconciliation. Some of us, our friends like the way we behave, but they don't, like the, they don't want to receive the message that you have received. Say, so, I, I like this sister. She's very kind. She's very nice. Oh, this person is gentle. Are you, you are different among other people that I've met. And you'll be, you know, smiling, you know, the comments. <laughs> the compliments are nice. But the message is what made you who you are. Hallelujah. So you have to share the message. The message is what made you who you are. So nevertheless, the goal, right, was to make disciples, right? The goal of Christ in all of these is to make disciples, talking about the yoke and the burden of Christ. So you learn from Jesus how he teaches. He finds every opportunity when people are talking about anything and he explains to them the message of the... So don't get carried away. Some of us we will jizz, 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 jizz with somebody and you have never shared the gospel with the person. You know, 
don't get scared in every of your gist let the consciousness be there that we will say something to the point where we begin to talk about the message of the gospel now all nations is the word ethnos right if you're doing philosophy and all those um, art courses or law or something you would have seen this word ethnos ethnos is actually means a group of people right a group of people that hold certain things in common so we can be an ethnic group by genealogy by history by culture by religion and thinking now the thinking part of it is very important because you can become part of an ethnic group by your mindset by your mindset you can become part of an ethnic group now you know when i was learning about about these international relations things we did they, they said that you know you can actually think yourself as being a turkish citizen you can think yourself into you might not have the passports it's different from ethnicity is different from citizenship you can think of you, you, you can you can have the passports but you might not even be part of that ethnic group yes ethnicity is very, because ethnicity takes many factors into it so now in this context you can think yourself into being a citizen of something so the emphasis here is a group of people who share certain things in common do we get it all right so ethnic people who hold things the same belief irrespective of phenotype or genotypical differences makes them ethnic group right now in this context in the context of the bible most of the time it refers to the jewish nations and the other nations why because of god's dealing with them so god is telling them that this is the nation i've chosen by which the things of the oracles of god will come I hope that one day will explain what the oracles of God is. You know, that's something that you should explain. Right? By them came the promise. By them came the method at which they serve in the Old Testament. And to them, came, through them also came salvation. Through Christ, right? And from them, the whole world would hear the message of the gospel. So just two nations focusing on that. So it simply means that God is actually deal, dealing with the whole world. So... To go and make disciples of all nations means to make disciples of every group of people that you find. Every tongue, every nation, every country, every location you find yourself. People who find themselves not disbelieving, whether they are moralists, whether in every group of people. So you will not say my message is only to those who are atheists or those who are non atheists. Okay, you want to preach, you, want, you don't want to preach to atheists because he already already giving you a zero that he does not believe God exists. Or you now want to say, oh, I want to preach to non-atheists because at least him, he believes God. There is God. Maybe he doesn't just know that Jesus is the... You know. No, everybody. To those who believe it, to those who do not believe it. So all nations means all nations. It does not exclude anybody. Like, irrespective of color, irrespective of race, irrespective of ideas. So all nations means all nations. Now, in the current state of ours, our all nations, our first all nations is Cyprus. Right? Our first all nations in our context is Cyprus and especially this Lefkosha because this is your residential area. Right? Are we together? This is where you stay. So, when you are teaching, right, you want to go for evangelism, within Lefkosha are the places that you can go. Not that you can go to Guinea. Where you will see the reason why if you go to Guinea, why it will be challenging for you to go to Guinea? You can go to Guinea to do evangelism. But because it is always attached to a local church, you have to do it with the mindset that a local church is who you would send the person to when the person believes. So I'm going to just explain that. So in our context, when you want to evangelize, our first target audience is Lefkosha. Some of us have online audience. Some of us have WhatsApp disciples. Some of us have a lot, a lot of groups. It's, they're nice. They're cool. But know that... The next neighbor beside you has not heard the gospel. You are looking for somebody online. In a way, it's not, it's not accurate. It's not proper. Right? It's not logical. You should minister to those around you as much as you want to minister to those online. Sometimes it's because we are hiding behind the screen. You want to hide. You don't have to hide behind the screen. You don't need to hide. You have to come out and face it. You know, some people are very good at typing online, but they don't know how to you know, talk to people. So, majorly... It's very important to actually know that the physical people are the people we are going after. Now, because we talk about ethnos, let me just quickly explain four people. I just learned this from somewhere and I just tried to check in the scripture where we can find them. When you go for evangelism, you will not be afraid after I explain this to you, these things to you. Like you will know what to do. Because when we go for evangelism, are we together? When we go for evangelism, we meet four kinds of people. We meet four kinds of people. I mean, evangelism team, they've, they've practiced this over time. They've tried it. The first people is the people that never heard the gospel, 
right? The people that never heard the gospel. They've never heard the gospel before. So when you're approaching someone, make sure that what you're thinking is, is this person in these four groups? Because knowing which group the person belongs to helps you to know what to say. So some people, you need to understand where they are coming from. Because if you don't understand, you'll be shivering. Or somebody might tell you, I've believed, and you'll leave the person. So there are four people you must always know that I will meet as I'm going out. First, someone that has never heard the gospel, right? Probably they've read some books, but they never, they never connected Isaiah to Jesus. They never, they, they didn't know the interpretation of the gospel. The second person is people that have heard the gospel, right? And they know something. They have many arguments against the gospel. In fact, most of these people belong to a particular religion. So when you are going out, you will meet them. There are ways to deal with these different people. The third one is people that are tired of their church. So you meet people that are tired of their church. Those are the people that will say, church, forget it. We know what they do there. The other day I was in church, somebody insulted me. They are offended by the church. It's understandable. Not the church, I would say, but the people that are in the church, right? So someone in the church offended them and they're like, oh, they're angry with the whole church. Or maybe the pastor offended them, they're angry with the whole church. So you find those people in the church, uh, in the, on the field rather. The third one is people that have actually heard the gospel. They've believed, but they do not believe that you will come to believe, right? You will come to, you, they do not believe that you will receive eternal life by just believing. Do you get it? So they believe that your eternal life must come through repentance, confession of sins, washing away, baptism, then they will be saved. Of course, they believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. The reason why I'm saying this is because you will not say that you have won a soul when you have not won a soul. Hallelujah. Alright. So the last two groups, look at the last two groups. There are two people who have actually, at a point in time, they are part of the body of Christ. They are in the body of Christ. Most probably, they have believed the message of the gospel. They have believed. So you cannot speak them and say, you win a soul. The problem with these two is that they lack knowledge. So someone that is angry with the church lacks the knowledge of the fact that you cannot be angry with the church. That's the truth. You cannot because you are angry with yourself if you are angry with the church. Because you are part of the body of Christ. So the person is angry with the church. So the person needs knowledge and teaching about how to behave in the church. How to conduct themselves. You tell the person, oh, I'm okay, you're angry with the church. Teach the person. Forgiveness that you have received, you give it back to the church. You now go back to your church to serve. That's what you teach that person. You don't say, now repent again. No. Those are the people that are causing division in church that 1 Corinthians 2 was trying to um, address. Paul was saying, some of you say you are for Apollos. Some of you say you are for Paul. Some of you, you are causing division. It's a division. The person is just a divisive person. The last part is people who don't also understand the scripture properly. So, what you should do is to teach them what you have been taught. What you have read from the scripture. That salvation does not come by confession of sins and repentance from sins. But to receive by believing the eternal life of Christ. And receive forgiveness of sin that has been given. You just teach them. And you leave them. Don't spend too much time on them. They will argue with some of them. Might, you know, the moment you just hit the point and you have made... The point of pointing the person back to the church, you allow the person. Now, the first two are the ones that are your catchment area. Let me put it that way. So, the first group is the people that have never heard the gospel. They are very innocent. I've met a couple of them. They, they are very innocent. Like, I think we met a Pakistan guy, right? And he, he has never heard the gospel. In fact, he doesn't even know what his own Quran says. So, I, I, I categorize him as somebody who has never heard the gospel. Why? Because I asked him, do you know Jesus says there's no Jesus? Do you know your Quran? He said, I don't, he literally told me that I don't know what the Quran says. Like, he had to call some other Pakistan guys to come and join. So, that guy, I put him as someone who has never heard, he doesn't know. So, immediately, I shared the gospel. Within four, three minutes, I shared the gospel with him. And the moment I saw that, they started guarding the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because there are a lot of them there. <laughs> my sisters and my brothers were with me. They just told me, we should leave the place. So, <laughs> so we left the place. We went and afterwards, I came back to mark his face again. So that guy, I would say, he's never heard the gospel. But for the first time, I shared it with him. I asked him, what does the scripture says about Isa? What you, the person you call Jesus? He said, he doesn't know. I said, okay. I will tell you what my scripture says and who he is. So I explained to him and he left. So that was the first person. Now the second person, the second group, is those that have received different knowledge. 
people that have built walls against Christ, people that are in other religions. So you'll meet them and they, will, they are ready for argumentative essay. Your job is not to argue, right? Your job is to enlighten them of who Christ is, different from what they know, right? And don't expect that as you are telling them, they will say, ah, now I believe you. No. Sometimes when you preach, it's not immediately. It will go and sink. They will go and think about it. They will go and look for more arguments. And they will, that one that you have said will still be there. So you don't argue with them, right? They are the debate group. You have to be careful with them. They can have a lot of sympathizers around. But make sure that you pass the message. When you, pass, you see that it's rowdy, then you can leave them. But those are the four. So when you are approaching somebody, let this be your mindset. The moment you preach and you ask the person, the person will tell you. And I tell you, most Africans on this island, on this island, falls in, within the last two groups, most of them. So it means that your catchment area is much among the Turkish folks and the foreign citizens. I'm not saying you shouldn't preach to Africans, right? But what we need much more is the knowledge of the true gospel because we've heard about Christ. Hallelujah. So these are the four groups that I feel when you go and preach, you should note them. To baptize simply means, so we're talking about baptizing now, means to immerse in the knowledge of Christ. So I think Pastor Fred was teaching us in one of our meetings that Baptism, actually, the word baptize or baptize, baptism happens to appear many times in the scripture. And it appears about 81 times and 71 times mostly referring to the baptism of John. That does not validate the fact that every time you see baptism, you should equate it to the baptism of John. Right? So there will be a teaching on that. I'm not going to stress on that. But baptism in this context means immersing them and fully identifying them in the name of of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So it means you are teaching them about Christ. Right? So you are teaching them. What is happening here is what they call parallel explanation. Not, um, not this will take place and that will take place. And it's not a stage. It's not a step. It's saying that when you teach, teach them, right? Explain to them more about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that is what baptism means in this context. This is a parallelism, right? The second sentence does not follow the other sequentially but it amplifies and further explains the first statement of going and teaching right so his emphasis is putting them in the way of the lord such a way of teaching is sometimes foreign to our logic outlined focused step-centered western way of thinking right this is just explaining this is some i quoted it from somewhere that's why you see it's in a quote that the way you read the bible does not mean it's stage by stage everything Sometimes, when, most of the time when you see it, it's an explanation so that you can get more understanding of the message of that context. So here, baptism also is an explanation of the fact that you are bringing them to Christ. You are teaching them and soaking them in the knowledge of Christ. There will be more systematic teaching on that. Alright, so the last part is to do my commandments. To do my commandments means that as you have made them a disciple, as they have been following and teaching, they have to do the same thing to make other people disciple too. So the cycle of discipleship does not end with you, right? So you have become a disciple, you are learning about Jesus. It means that as you are teaching the person, you are encouraging the person. The person has believed. As the person grows, you now tell the person, now you will not sit down here. You to that thing that I did to you, you will go out and do it to somebody else. Preach the message, minister, and make the person a disciple. So, discipleship is actually a continuous process when it comes to our relationship with each other, right? It's not something that ends somewhere. So, they must listen on how to evangelize, teach others in following, learning, listening, observing, and practicing the teachings of Jesus. Hence, discipleship is a continual process. We do not graduate from being a disciple. That's another thing. We do not, some say, oh, I'm not more a disciple now. I'm a prophet. I'm not more a disciple now. I'm a pastor. I'm not my disciple now. I'm a bishop. We are always a disciple of Christ. So when you're done with teaching someone and making the person a disciple of Christ, you move what? To the next person. And you do the same. You will do that until the second coming of our Lord. If Christ dies, right? So you do that until, you know, until the last day on earth. Alright, so this is a scripture that talks about committing these things to faithful hands that can pass it also onto others. So your discipleship process, we can say that, is more effective or is complete. Let's say the process is complete. When we say that 
the person that you have discipled is able to also begin to disciple others. So at that point, you can say, okay, this person can disciple others. You can move to someone else and continue to disciple another person. Of course, not that you have, disti- you have distinguished yourself from the other person, but you allow the person to be able to build up others in Christ. So that's discipleship. So to teach my commandment is to teach them to make disciples as well. Every disciple is taught to replicate what has taken place in them. Right? What has taken place in them is to receive the message, to minister the message, and to make disciples. Alright, so I'm just going to conclude with this. That in making discipleship, or sorry, in making disciples or evangelism, actually, orderliness is important. Hallelujah. Orderliness is the last thing that we're going to talk about, and it is very important. Imagine you commissioning a church or Okay, let me put it this way. You have a ministry of foreign affairs. I, I like to use that, right? You have a ministry of foreign affairs somewhere and it's located somewhere and your job is to look for the ambassadors of every country to bring them to the foreign affairs ministry to invest in the country. Now, you find the ambassador of, let's say, Canada to Liberia. Ah, you know, sir, Mr. Ambassador, it's good to see you. You know, I've been looking for you. You now share the message of investing in Liberia to the person. Rather than taking the person to the ministry of foreign affairs, you now took the person to your house. You now sat the person down. Or you just told him the message and you didn't take him to the ministry of foreign affairs. You, you, you can't be serious. You can't be, like, that, that shows that you're on your own mandate. You, you, I mean, you're just saying I'm on my own mandate. The same way, when you preach the gospel, right, you must always bring the person to a local church. Because that is where discipleship takes place. So some people say we don't. Even me, I, I've said it before. Sometimes, like when I go to teach, I don't want to. I don't want to preach my church, you know, so that it will not look like we are preaching church. See, at the end of it, is church. Do you get the point? At the end of it, is church because the church is the pillar of God's truth. The church is where the truth of God is being buttressed. So teaching them to do all that I've commanded you creates a cycle of discipleship. Otherliness always engage the church and evangelism team in your evangelism, right? It will allow proper discipleship. So when you go and preach to someone, you can tell um, Branoited, Bra- ah, sir, is the one in charge of evangelism. You can meet him. I met somebody in city center. I met somebody in Deriboyo. I preached the gospel to the person and this is the feedback. For coordination and proper soul winning, you need to work with the church. You are not just throwing the seed anyhow. No, you are throwing the seed strategically that when the person catches it, you point the person to a local church. So, it means that if you are doing evangelism, you must always be connected to a local church. You should be connected to a local church. I just quoted 1 Corinthians 14. 14. It says, Let everything be done in fitting and proper manner that is organized, well-planned, respectful, and well-mannered and polite manner. Right, so of course, in that context, it was dealing with uh, speaking in tongues and disorder in church. Right, that is the context, disorder in church. And we can apply that here that as we go out, we should make things to be done in an orderly manner. In an orderly manner, Timothy also say, If I delay, that you may know how ought to behave in the house of God, in which is the church of the living God and the pillar of truth, right? The pillar and the buttress of the truth of God. So, orderliness is key. If you evangelize, tell someone, tell the pastors, I met this person. Alright, so this is just the last thing I'm going to say. It is therefore disorder and disastrous to win a soul and begin to disciple without leading or connecting them to a local church. Now, these are, you will meet these people to outside. They were let, they, they receive and believe, but because they were not disciple. Someone was, in fact, the guy began to, one of the persons I met began to say, is every now he's trying to say, I believe Jesus, but is it that every way does not lead to God again? Ah, I'm like, you believe Jesus, but you still believe that every way leads to God. And this, he mentioned the name of the churches he has attended and he has served. I was shocked because there was no proper discipleship. So please don't create disastrous and disorderly people, right? Bring them to the church of God. It is also disorderly for you to be in a local church and not be discipled, right? And not be ready to minister to others. Please, if you're in a church, it is your, responsible, your responsibility to be discipled. Of course, what we're doing here is discipleship. To 
minister to the needs of others, to minister to the saints, to minister to God, to minister to unbelievers as well. So you don't have to stay idle in the body of Christ. Some of us have been here for a long time. We've been idle. We don't minister. You know, you just like to receive. That is not efficient. That is not good enough for you. So join a team, join a department, learn to go out, be effective in church, minister to the needs of others, right? Don't sit in a church and say, oh, I don't want to serve. No, you can't do that. You have received the message and you have received the ministry. Hallelujah. All right, in summary, make it a daily habit to share about Christ to at least a person every day. You should have shared to about 365 persons in a year and point them to your local church for discipleship the moment they believe. Amen. Can we be on our feet? Can we just be on our feet? Just be on your feet and say, Lord, I receive the zeal to evangelize. I receive the zeal to teach. I receive the zeal to go forth and make disciples of all nations. Just begin to pray and say, Lord, I receive boldness to teach the word of God. I receive boldness to evangelize. I receive confidence to go out to do that which you have given to me. So I've received the word of reconciliation. I've received the message of reconciliation. And I receive the boldness to teach the word. To teach the message of reconciliation. So Lord, I receive grace that this week as I go out, I share the word. I share the word of Christ. I share about Christ. I share about the death and the resurrection.